Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Precursa the Startup Journey. I am so excited about today's guest. So she is no stranger to the podcast or to Precursa. She scaled small companies up to big ones, has run organizations across a variety of industries, and she knows her way around how to manage people and resources like a ninja. In addition to being an ops maven and a finance guru, she's also a Precursa co-founder. Here to tell us her story, please welcome Sarah Jolly. Hello. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. You know, everybody gets to hear my voice a lot and that's a good thing, right? Because most people are founders and creators and they want to hear hear the journey of a of a founder and a creator. But they don't get to hear your voice very much, as much as I would love. And you have so much behind to offer. Yeah, behind the scenes. <laughs> you have so much wisdom. And so maybe you can just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and sort of your journey and how you became an entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah. So I started out pretty traditionally double major in accounting and finance. So, you know, I'm a real good time. Um, so I, I just kind of took the traditional corporate path, right? Went into corporate accounting, found myself in the oil and gas industry. And there I got bored, honestly, super quickly. Shocking. Um, yeah, I know. I got kind of pulled into a variety of special projects and acquisitions, system implementations, all that kind of fun stuff. And, and that's what I found out I really loved when things kept changing and there was always a challenge and a problem to solve. And I found that I enjoyed the challenge of getting different groups of people to work toward a goal. Not everyone has the same goals as the accounting department. Um, and so people were often at odds, but, but kind of kind of getting the buy-in of everyone and getting them to work towards something and seeing it across the finish line was, was really fun for me. So I left corporate life in oil and gas. It was time <laughs> and it was a little too traditional and good old boys for, for me. So yeah. I got recruited for an accounting consulting firm um, at the time and started off as a consultant there, but pretty quickly moved to the CFO seat for them, um, became part of the executive team. And it was a super small firm. I was like employee number eight. And so having the chance, like that was a, a huge shift, right? To go from public oil and gas corporation to, you know, this tiny little boutique firm. Um, <laughs> but being in the CFO seat there just exposed me to everything about running a business. Mm. And I couldn't get enough of that. Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, the problems and challenges and getting everyone to work together that I love from corporate life, but times a billion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I loved wearing all the hats and, you know, just helping to set the direction. It was like, mm. there was no defined role, you know, what made it what it was and every day was different. So I, I really love that. So I was with that company and, and we grew from you know, eight people to over a hundred and launched offices in multiple cities and, you know, kind of helped spearhead the initiative to, to do that 
multi-office launch and create the playbook for that. And then join forces with Paige at Point Solutions Group. I know all the listeners are familiar with Paige as well. And we're going to get to hear from her soon, too. It's very exciting. That's right. She will bring the energy, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so at Point Solutions Group, my focus, I'm the de facto CFO, but my title is COO. So really embracing a lot of that side as well. So, you know, it is kind of related to what I started out doing in my career, but so much more. And I don't think I could ever go back to defined corporate life, sitting behind a computer all day, working on just a fraction. I I just really love that big picture. I love, you know, having a goal and just seeing the steps it's going to take to get there and kind of keeping everyone on track to, to get it there. So I, I love kind of buying into that vision and, and I, I love the energy of a startup. I love the ups and downs, um, some days more than others. <laughs> some more ups than downs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think, I think the more I've kind of leaned into making things my own and exploring what I'm passionate about, you know, the more I've kind of identified as an entrepreneur and been like, mm. oh, I, I am kind of charting these waters and clearing this path and, it's new for me, but that's the thrill of it. Yeah, totally. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. So tell us a little bit about, you've got a bunch of irons in the fire. So tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about what you're working on and what kind of projects you're involved with and what drew you to the projects that you're involved with now. Sure. Yeah. So most of my time goes to Point Solutions. Um, (laughs) So that one, you know, is a a technology and engineering consulting firm. Um, You know, I... I knew I wanted to partner with an entrepreneur who was looking to take things to the next level and really scale and not just um, kind of maintain status quo. So um, Paige was definitely in that spot. I loved that tech doesn't traditionally have a ton of diversity. And, and that was kind of one of her focuses. <laughs> it doesn't? I know. This is shocking for all of us. I'm sure your listeners have no idea. Um, so that was, I mean, definitely like as a personal passion that kind of drew me there as well. So um, you know, we've grown that for the last couple of years. That's a super fun ride. It's been cool to kind of hit some milestones and get some recognition in the market as quickly growing company and yeah. things like that. Um, but, but I also have a huge, uh, because of my personal experiences and just what I see, I have a huge heart for women mm-hmm. who are doing this business thing basically. <laughs> and And sometimes that's on the side of becoming investors and realizing that that's an option for them. And sometimes that's on the side of trying to raise money and it's just not a fun thing to do. Um, I don't know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. nine months later. Mm -hmm. Right. right. We're totally be done with this by May. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Did we ever think that? Were we ever that naive? I know. We were so cute. and We were so cute. Mm -hmm. So adorable. Totally. So I, you know, Paige and I have kind of committed to investing our own money in female entrepreneurs. And, mm. and we've done that a, a few times. And some of those companies 
uh, I'm involved with as an advisor. And I love that piece too, because I think a lot of times we don't realize what we've learned through all of our experiences yeah. until we kind of look back to offer a hand to someone and we're yeah. like, oh yeah, I did totally make that mistake and step on that <laughs> landmine. Let me help you avoid that. So that, that's been super rewarding for me. And I, what I love most managing people and helping these companies is just helping to empower people, right? Yeah. Like if I do nothing else, but leave them feeling more confident in their decisions and their own skills, then that's enough. So that's a big piece of what I do. Um, Precursa obviously falls right in line <laughs> with that. And, you know, I, we kind of talked about this and how we all got together. I was pumped to work with you, Cynthia. I, we were kind of looking Aww. for a way to make it happen. Yeah. Um, but the, just the vision and heart behind what Precursa is doing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what lights me up, right? Let's yeah. give people the tools they need to bring their ideas to life level the playing field and take some of the mystery and, you know, fear yeah. out of starting and running a business. Yeah. So I don't know that we've ever fully talked about your background like that. And so now that people have sort of a feel for you are, you're a legitimate, like you're legitimate, right? You have, like you said, a double, <laughs> double, you know, degree in accounting and finance and, you know, you are, Paige and I kind of, I think we both view ourselves as fly by the seat of our pants entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> Although Paige uh -huh. is legitimate too, because she's got a degree as well. I'm the only one with no, with, without a degree. Eh, um, that only matters to a point. But. I know. I know. Well, 25 yeah. years later, six startups, I think I'm okay. I think you figured it but out. But yeah. there's this perception, I think, that word legitimacy keeps coming to me, that, mm -hmm. that, like, that mm -hmm. legitimacy is what makes the difference. Like I, I could hear people in their mind saying, well... The reason you're struggling so much, Cynthia, to raise money is because you don't have a degree and you're a mm -hmm. unknown factor, right? You have been on the other side of this. You, you, you are a finance geek. You know what's going on in that world. Why is it so damn difficult for women to get funding, for people of color to get funding? I mean, it's even worse mm -hmm. when you go to women of color, right? I mean, the statistics yep. are, they're dismal horrendous. and horrendous. Yeah. And I can't even, I can't even look at it. It's so bad, right? Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why should that be? I mean, is there something that we're doing wrong? Do we have any control? Like, wh what is it? Yeah, yeah, I was actually talking about this with someone just the other day. I mean, it the difference is real, right? Mm -hmm. The statistics speak Don't for lie. themselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I can say from my personal experience, you know, I've worked closely with two CEOs now to raise funding yeah. for their companies. And primarily that was through banks as opposed to investors, but still the, it sucked both times. So I'll yeah. just, I'll say, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say it was a breeze. However, the questions we were asked when Paige and I went after versus when I was sitting next to a male CEO. Different were questions. Different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, no doubt about it. Yeah. And it becomes nearly impossible to shift that conversation. So I think that's truly one piece. I, I know that happens on the investor side as well. We've seen yeah, research we have. about that. The questions are a lot more kind of fear-based as opposed to growth-based. Yeah. And I mean, there are things you can do to kind of pivot and, you know, twist the question to still work in your advantage. But at the end of the day, if someone's coming in with that mindset, that's a, a much bigger hurdle to get past than yeah. someone not facing right, that, right? Right. So that sucks. I think... Additionally, we can see real numbers 
and statistics around women in leadership. Mm. Just not always giving the same number of opportunities. <laughs> and um, that's not only in tech, right? I mean, that this no. isn't, I mean, a, a lot of times we talk about tech because we're, we're helping people mm-hmm. build tech startups, right? But yeah. this isn't just in tech. This is leadership across the board. This Absolutely. Is, uh, boards of directors across industries. Yep. There is not a representation that is the workforce makeup is not represented in leadership. Is that correct? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the last study I heard was that for boards of directors on um, Fortune 500 companies, yeah, there were like six of them who had decent representation of women and minorities. Right, like six. Wow, six. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, it's it's real and it sucks. But the fact of the matter is investors and banks looking at buying into a leadership team often look at past experience. Yeah. And if we as women or people of color just aren't given those opportunities, then- we don't have it to show. Once again, yeah, we yeah. come in kind of with a disadvantage. So I think there are several factors at play. I mean, I do think that- Women make an astounding percentage of consumer spending decisions. Um, <laughs> so it's like 80%. It's like 80 to 90%. Right? Yeah. 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 But if you look at the percentage of women who make investing decisions for their household, it's flipped. It's, really? it's not that much. Mm-hmm. And oh. so I personally think that we need to see some of those numbers shift yeah. to really kind of change the tide. I think women, when they feel empowered to invest, will invest in things they care about, right? Yeah. We see that in brands that people buy all the time. Yeah. And I think it will be this whole wonderful cycle of investing in companies who do things that matter, who then treat people the way they should be treated and give people opportunities and it kind of flows from there. But so I I guess I'm answering your question and saying, yes, it's real. Like we're not imagining it. Yeah. It's not you doing something (laughs) wrong, but you know, I wish I had the answer. I I don't, it's still something that I have to kind of fight against. You know, it's every company. It's interesting because it would, you know, you mentioned when women start being investors, that will start to shift the tide, right? And, Mm -hmm. but what's interesting is when there are women investors on the other side of the table, this is referencing that research you were talking about, Dr. Mm -hmm. Dana. Dr. Dana, that's what I refer to her as. I'll (laughs) I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But, you know, she even found that even having women on the other side of the table as investors, they had the same biases towards men and women as Mm -hmm. founders. And I wonder, what do we need to bring consciousness to or awareness to in order to start to shift this? Uh, Because it seems like from Dr. Dana's research, women do it too. We look at at white men and say, they have a history of being able to succeed. I'm going to bet on that. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I would be interested, and I guess I don't know the details, but I'd I'd be interested to know what groups those women were a part of. Mm. Right? Were they part of a fund that was primarily male, and this uh, is like and they had a particular this thesis. is the expectation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or were they acting independently? You know, and I don't disagree. I think we all have kind of unconscious bias that we need to work to be aware of and correct. So I don't doubt that that's the case at all. I think yeah. I think we as women have the opportunity to show up a little differently at work now than we did a few years ago. And and absolutely I can look back at even my own career and there were times I felt like I had to play with the big boys and fit in and, you know, bring my masculinity. Right. And, and that's a shift I think we're starting to be aware of and be more open to. 
but there is reality. Like I've, like we talked about, it's in tech, but I've also been in finance and in oil and gas and in yeah. all of those places, it can feel very hard to show up authentically. Yeah. And a lot of times it feels like the requirement for success is kind of falling in line. Yeah, it's interesting because the the one company that comes to mind that's in a really traditional industry, manufacturing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I worked with a startup a few years ago that had a hardware device and they were looking at options for how to bring the the manufacturing of that into the U.S. and how to, you know, make Mm -hmm. it cheaper and whatever. And, uh, you know, the founder found this company based in Indiana that was run by a woman, a manufacturing company run by a woman. And I was like, this is awesome. I got to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> and she was the if she was not a woman, she would have been the stereotypical white male mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. all the same all the same ruthlessness and all the same. And I was kind of like, huh, like, is that <laughs> how we're going to get there is to emulate mm-hmm you know, the Enrons of the world, like that doesn't feel right to me. And, you know, I had a conversation the other day with the founder who was like, she, how she and I got introduced is she's actually listened to every episode of the podcast and loves it. And she was like, can I talk to you about my idea? And so, you know, we've been having some conversations and she said to me, you know, the thing that I want to build is a B2B SaaS company or whatever. And she's like, but my actual why is I want to prove that you can build a company culture first from the beginning Mm. and have it be successful. And she said, so many times I see companies that are like, she was actually referencing Gimlet Media, who has been Mm -hmm. sort of under the spotlight a little bit in the last year or so for some stuff that's gone down inside their company. But she was like, you know, they didn't start thinking about it or addressing it until it was already a problem and it was too mm-hmm. big. And then yeah. and then it's like having to turn an aircraft carrier around, you know, right. where you're like, we've been going this direction and we're doing it really fast. And it's now we so have to insidious. go that way. It's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess the question I want I want to know is, do we have to be men i mean i you know i'm, I'm sort of making this <laughs> gesture with my hands yeah, i mean do, yeah, like, do we have to for, like yeah. bring the masculinity and bring the bring the ruthlessness in order to be successful and to shift this thing or is there another I mean, path and is it just that we don't have decades and and centuries of success to point to for the path yeah i mean i absolutely believe it's the latter right i think i don't think the way things are right now is working for anyone even the few the, you know, top 1% or whatever who, yeah. who hold a lot of the money and power, I don't think they're happy. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't really think this is benefiting people. It's interesting. I'm reading this book called Grow the Pie. Mm. Uh, and the concept is that for decades, we've had this concept that like, if the value of a company is a pie, yeah. then in order to get more to shareholders or leadership or whatever, we have to take from the other the parts, someone, yeah. right? The employees, yep. the customers, like whatever it is. Yep. But what if instead you just grew the pie and everybody had a bigger share? What if you're mm. making decisions that instead of thinking about like, well, I want more for this group over here. I'm going to take from this group, but it's like, how can I help both? What yeah. if I do what's, and not just employees and shareholders and leadership, but the community yeah. and stakeholders at large. Yeah. Um, what if I'm making products that actually benefit people and, you know, I'm worried a little bit less about my bottom line profit and a little bit more about how we get there. Yeah. Knowing that will benefit everyone and more will come. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the shift people 
want. Yeah. But to your point, there's not a charted path. Yeah, we don't have a there. model for it, right? And it's so right. easy to slip into the old way. And it, it's interesting mm-hmm. the the analogy that you're drawing with a pie because people compare the economy to a pie a lot too, but the economy grows. Like if you look now to a hundred years ago, the economy is way bigger. It's not that the dollar shifted hands. It's there is more going on. Our GDP is bigger. What we produce is bigger. So that's really, really fascinating. What tips or strategies or advice or what would you say you know, obviously we are in this position and we're just kind of doing everything we can, but mm-hmm. a woman out there who's looking to raise money or she's like, I have this idea, I don't know how to fund it. Like, what would you tell her to do? What are the strategies? Where should she go? What should she look for? Because yeah. we're going to have to overcome this thing somehow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. until we do, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a huge question, obviously. Um, and I would love to say I'm, I have a fund of a billion dollars. So any woman who has an idea, just give me a shout. But We're working on that. Yeah, so far, I don't. Yeah. So I mean, I think I, I really believe the entrepreneurs who succeed are the ones who kind of feel that fire in their belly, right? Mm. And they have that North Star, I think anybody talking to investors, but especially women, we know we're going to hear a lot of no's. And we know we're going to hear a lot of advice, <laughs> solicited or not. <laughs> So it, most it of it be, bad. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe some mansplaining sprinkled yeah. in here and there. Um, <laughs> and it, it can be super tempting to kind of shift and change and evolve to try and fit in a box so that someone will give you money. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, like, is that the company you want to have? Is that, right. was that the dream you started out with? Right. So I, I do believe that people who can stick with it will find the investors that are aligned, who are yeah. aligned with them. Yeah, um, they they are out there, and it's obviously easier said than done. And when you're in the midst of your fiftieth no, it's like whatever. I'm just what, what will convince people to just give me some money in the bank. But I, I I really think that by kind of sticking to our guns and building these companies that change not just our lives but the lives mm. of many, yeah, um, that's what's going to have the ripple effect we're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I love that. It, I love that you said it's about fire in the belly. It's about the the passion. And that's why, you know, mm-hmm. we come back to this almost every episode. It's kind of funny, but <laughs> the why really matters. And and like totally. I was talking about that other fund that that other founder I was talking about, the why doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the product you're putting out or the type mm-hmm. of of company that you're building. It could be about something else. It could be about your family and your kids being the being the first yep. generation to go to college fully totally. funded without debt in your family like there's lots of different things that could be a why that your company that you're building and the product you're, or service that you're offering is the means to that why mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that's really what we're talking about i mean you know i'm i'm going to kind of paraphrase you and say you got to get kind of scrappy right totally. I, I mean it, that that's where passion and fire comes in is you're like all right, what can I do today to get to tomorrow, right? Absolutely. And I think that's where I, maybe this is my unconscious or conscious (laughs) bias coming up, but I I kind of have a a bad taste in my mouth with a lot of institutional investors, Mm. you know, private equity firms and stuff. I, I think it can be really hard for a founder to stay true to the identity of that vision they yeah. started with. Um, 
And so there are some great ones out there. Don't get me sure. wrong. And, um, you know, keep, keep looking and keep talking with them. Absolutely. But I think, uh, scrappy is exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. most of the companies I've started or work with are bootstrap for a reason, right? Because yeah. it, maybe it started that way intentionally, maybe not, but at some point a decision was made, like we'd rather not take bad money <laughs> than, <laughs> you know, than yeah. worry about not having money in the bank. Um, And I think the thing that all companies who bootstrapped realize at some point, you know, when you start out and we did the same thing, you start out and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, man, it's going to take so much money. We got to get some funding Mm -hmm. in the door. Like, what can we do to start now? But but we got we got to solve the funding problem. And here we are almost a year later. And somehow every time we've worked Mm -hmm. it out. Right. And I think. I, I think that's the other thing about being scrappy is you learn to get super creative and you will realize mm-hmm. looking back, it's hard in the moment, but when you look back, you'll realize you actually got a lot further and you did a lot more than you probably thought you could when you started. A hundred percent. And I mean, talk about defining a true MVP. I mean, a lack of funds will force <laughs> you to really evaluate, you know, what do I need? And, and what's really getting me to the goal. And, and I think we see that a lot. You know, we've talked, we kind of joked on here before about unicorns and stuff, but <laughs> how many companies, you know, raise round after round after round without seeing profits. And, you know, at some point it's like, are you using the money for what you should be using yeah. it for? Like, are you reaching, what is the end goal yeah. here? So I think, I think funding can be awesome and it can definitely push you forward and accelerate your progress but you don't have a clear vision and you don't know what specifically you're working toward. I mean, that money can poof, go toward all kinds of things and you don't have much to show for it. Well, and we've talked about that. Like if we had gotten that money that we, you know, we've Mm -hmm. talked about it on the show, the, what was essentially a loan, you know, last February, March, April timeframe, we would have done very different things and not Mm -hmm. having the resources made us have to get really intentional and pay very close attention to what we were doing, you know, and and we've talked about this before, but we only ended up spending like 12 or $13,000 on a marketing strategy Mm -hmm. that ended up being the wrong one. Where if we'd had, three quarters of a million dollars sitting in the bank, it we might have cost us a hundred thousand. Yeah. Totally. We might have been like, oh, we just, we need to optimize it. And, mm-hmm. you know, before you know it, Give it's been a year. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you're, you know, 70 or a hundred thousand dollars in and you're going, yeah, that that's wasted money when we, we yeah. learned, we were able to learn that lesson a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And the, and the further we get, the more I feel like, we know exactly how we need to use the money and it's mm-hmm. different than how we would have used it a year ago. Absolutely. And and talk about fire in the belly. Like what else motivates <laughs> you than using money from your own bank account yep. to yeah. push something forward? Like That's right. it, it will definitely force you to kind of gut check yourself. Like, yep. okay, is this, do I still believe in this? Yep. <laughs> like, is this what I, what I'm dreaming about? And it's doesn't make it easier, but it definitely makes you kind of, get real with yourself about where this is going. Yeah. All right. So what in your experience, based on what you've seen and, you know, the work that you've done, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. That's a big question. Um, (laughs) I I probably think it's what we just talked about, right? Mm. It's, there's always more to learn and there are always going to be people who can teach you more, which is awesome. But at the end of the day, 
you're putting your time, blood, sweat, tears, you know, (laughs) personal money into something because you have this vision that you know is meant for you to trust yourself. And so I, I think it's really like being confident enough in yourself to take that jump. And so there have been a few times I've just kind of known it's time to leave something behind and I don't know what's next. And that's a really scary feeling. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm an accounting and finance nerd. Like, of <laughs> I'm course, a stability I love a major. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Type A. Um, so, so that, that feels scary, but that has resulted in the absolute best stuff, right? Mm. You don't know how it's going to work out when you take that leap, but. I think there's something to betting on yourself Mm. and sticking with that, even when you start to kind of question the path that kind of is the difference in entrepreneurs who have that scrappiness and push through and ones that kind of throw on the towel and go back to corporate life. And, you know, I feel like we have been trained and conditioned for so long that our instincts are wrong or we or don't listen mm-hmm. to your intuition, listen to the data or look at what works out out there that yeah. I think, you know, and I've heard this from a lot of entrepreneurs. I've experienced it myself. There are times where we have that sense of this is the direction I'm supposed to go. But the fear sort of outweighs that because mm-hmm. we don't trust it. Like what advice mm-hmm. would you give to someone who's in that position who doesn't who who's like, I can hear it. But how do you mm-hmm. trust that? How do you take that step that seems like there is just you're stepping into the void? How do you do yeah. that? Like what what advice would you give to someone? I mean, I, in my own journey, have had to sit with it for a minute, right? And and get real with myself on, on what's fear talking versus yeah. what's that kind of intuition? Because a lot of times it'll come kind of out of nowhere and it mm. feels crazy. Like yeah. I don't know how to explain <laughs> this to anyone. I just know. But then you can start to rationalize it and you're like, well, it doesn't make sense. You know, like you said, so kind of sitting with it and being real about like, what actually am I afraid of? And Mm -hmm. like, if that worst case scenario happens, can I live with it and pick myself up and go again? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's worth it. But I think also, I'm sure you've talked about this on here, just having some kind of support system. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that they have to perfectly understand or maybe like I remember when I left one role, I didn't have another job yet and telling my parents, this is what I'm going to do. And they're the poster children for like stability. <laughs> you know, this is the path that you follow. And they're kind of like, well, you can't do that. Like it's done. And I was like, yeah, I think I am. But I, I still knew like they would love and support me. Right. They would be there. I mean, yeah. they might have a, I told you so look on their face if it all went downhill, but yeah, but I I think I knew there would be people who love me despite my failures or successes, right? Where that was irrelevant. Um, And so I know not everyone has that luxury with family, but I would strongly encourage people to kind of reach out and build a community Mm. um, of like-minded people who will get it and kind of be there through the ups and downs, um, that can really make all the difference. And so, you know, sometimes people are like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a coach or I'm going to get a consultant or something Mm -hmm. like that. How do you distinguish? We talked, we said briefly there, there are not all advice is made equal, right? Mm -hmm. How do you distinguish what's, what's right? What's good? What's the right path for you if you're getting advice 
from different sources and you're like, well, these are conflicting things, but I respect both of these mm-hmm. people. How do I mm-hmm. how do I reconcile that? I mean, wh- what's your advice for when to take advice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think some of it is that kind of feel, right? Does this feel true to me? Because like you said, everyone's, you can respect both people and they could have charted completely different paths, mm. but still done great things, right? Yeah. But that's their path. I yeah. think for me, having colleagues who are in the same spot or have gone through similar things in a business setting is helpful. Like you and I were kind of joking with Paige the other day about like, if you haven't used your own money to cover payroll at some point, that's right. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think there's something to kind of being aware of someone's history, but I think also for me, the coach I worked with who impacted me the most, she had no business acumen. Mm-hmm. She had a, an incredible gift for reading people and intuition. And so it was really about me as a human. Yeah. And of course that's going to bleed into every area of my life. So I think if the advice is focused around personal growth, that's maybe more valuable even than like, Mm. here's the next step in your pro forma that everyone must take. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Huh? I love that. That's actually really smart. So focusing on advice and coaching and, like taking in outside things that are growing you as a founder, mm-hmm. allowing you to hear more clearly what the next steps really are for you and your Absolutely. business. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's gorgeous. I love that. What do you think is the most important, like either personality trait or characteristic that someone has to have in order to be a successful entrepreneur? I mean, my first reaction to that is grit. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's necessarily a, you know, you have to be this big extroverted personality or you have to be, you know, whatever, because it's going to get hard. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, no, it's, yeah, I know, I know. I'm sure you guys don't want to hear this. Um, but no, anybody who's kind of been in it for a minute knows it's not going to be what you pictured, right? Something's going to change. And so kind of having the wherewithal to, to pick yourself up, however many times it takes and to push through and, and to kind of let stuff roll off your back a little bit. Cause like we talked about, you're going to hear a lot of no's. You're going to hear a lot of advice and it will feel personal mm. and you know, that's okay. But just kind of remembering who you are and pushing through. Yeah. I, I think that's that. more important than any specific personality. Yeah. I love that. So when does a startup die? Like <laughs> when do you look yourself in the mirror and say, this isn't going anywhere or, you know, and, and I need to give it up and I need to shut it down. Or does it only die if you say it dies? Like, what's the point at which it's time to let go and move on? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I hmm, I mean, that hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah. And so I kind of tend to suspect it happens when someone says it happens. Mm. I think certainly there are times to kind of reassess and say, all right, well, maybe this particular path isn't going to be <laughs> the easiest and we can shift a little bit, but I, yeah, I don't think anything has to die. And I think especially, you know, if, if you feel like there's just something there and you have that fire to kind of chase it and, mm. and be open to what that means, maybe it's not what you first thought, but I don't know. I, I don't think anybody else can tell you when it's over. Yeah, it's sort of like Schrodinger's cat. What, what would cat. you say, Cynthia? Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. Schrodinger's cat. It's like if you don't yeah. 
say it's right. over, then it's not, right? <laughs> Is it over? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, you know, it's, it's a really interesting conversation. And I've had people say to me, well, how do you know when it's time to give up and move on? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, if you say it is, then it is like it kind of goes back to that intuition piece, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. is your intuition telling you that there's nothing here and this isn't worth it for you? Is your intuition telling you you're following a something that isn't enough, doesn't carry enough passion for you? Mm -hmm. So I just always wonder, do companies die or fail simply because the founders say that that's what needs to happen next Mm -hmm. and that it's time to give up and move on? Right. And and I'm always curious because does that mean anything could potentially be successful. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and maybe it comes back again a little bit to that personal growth piece, right? Like, mm. why are you continuing? Is yeah. it, you know, fear? Like, I don't want to fail. I, I can't give up on this. Mm. I have nothing else. Is it something better than fear? You know, growth kind of thing. So, yeah, but I think anybody who has that kind of growth mindset and is willing to do the thing that benefits others and do the thing that kind of follows their dreams. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that yeah. truly failing. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. If you could give entrepreneurs. I'm sure you'll have an answer for us next week. I'm you know, sure. Yeah. I'll think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would it be? Should do it. Whatever you're kind of, noodling on or dreaming about to do it. I love that. I love that. There will be, there will always be reasons not to, but. Yeah. In the realm of reasons not to, a lot of times those things seem really real, right? Like, oh, well, I have a, I have a family and I'm, I'm the major breadwinner or I'm the one who has Mm -hmm. our health insurance or I'm the one, you know, like there's a lot of things that can kind of fall under that header of reasons not to. And what advice would you give to someone who's like, oh, I have this idea and I'd really love to do something about it, but I am the major breadwinner. I am the stability mm-hmm. of my family, or I don't know how on earth I would make it all work. Like what advice would you give to them? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us, you know, especially entrepreneurs who have this vision, like we see this big, huge thing. Yeah. And so we're at zero, but we can see a hundred. Yep. Um, but the reality is there's steps one through 99 to get there. Right. And so, <laughs> Um, there, there are a lot of things. I think, I think we kind of have this misconception that like, in order to be an entrepreneur, I have to leave everything behind and Mm. like live on rice for three years until I'm a parent's basement. And yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But like, like we talked about with precursor, you know, the funding didn't happen the way we envisioned Mm -hmm. and we continued anyway, and we made it work and we're all still doing other things, right. Yeah. To kind of piece this together until it can be a hundred percent. Yeah. And so I, I think if you have a dream, there are probably steps you can start taking. And so think about like, what are those little chunks that I can bite off now? Yeah. And you know, this is what we encourage people to do with precursor all the time. It's yeah. like, don't go take out a second mortgage and hire a developer. Like <laughs> let's do some legwork first <laughs> and maybe bet a few things out. <laughs> But I think that applies to any business, right? You can Mm. do so much kind of thought and planning and strategizing and making real actionable progress on your dream before you get to the point that you have to bet it all and, um, you know, gamble your family's safety or whatever. Yeah, I love that. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And I know you know the statistic just about as well as I do, but I'm going to tell you the statistic 
And then okay. I just want you to tell me what you think about it, okay? Okay. Okay. 42% of startups fail because no one wants what they're building. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's the number one. Number two, at a very distant second, 30, 31 or 32% of companies failed because of money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so preventable. <laughs> you know, I think, why? It's almost like we um, have this conversation all the time. <laughs> I know, I know, almost. Uh, but, tr- but truly, th- these are the steps one through 99 we were just talking about, right? Yeah. I think that fire in the belly we talked about earlier yeah. can be such a strength, but in some cases it can be a weakness if you're just mm. like, I'm doing it, and you charge forward, and you haven't really thought through things like, some entrepreneurs love to fly by the seat of their pants, <laughs> um, like we were talking about earlier. But but there has to be some measure of like, okay, but this makes sense because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so, you know, when we skip steps and we don't don't have that supportive community around us who can maybe call us when we're being a little, you know, off the... Uh, <laughs> off the reservation. Yeah, off the reservation. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I think that's where we get into these crazy numbers. But I also think, you know, one of our other favorite statistics is how many companies that people invest in actually succeed, right? Yeah. And it's not amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, investors get it wrong nine out of 10 times in case you haven't Ouch. heard us say that. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that again goes back to like, I don't think we're doing it right. Yeah. Like, you know, for whatever metric we're using to decide who we invest in or what we expect out of a business yeah. doesn't make sense. Like this yeah. 500% growth every year and all of these things, I think we're kind of forcing companies to do things in a way that isn't strategic in the long term. And why why has that become a thing? Because I think if you if you looked back even maybe I was going to say a decade ago but it's probably more than that, probably like pre-2000, that was never the expectation of a company mm-hmm. being built. It was like you you do the work, you you lay the grant foundation over, you know, mm-hmm. the first five to ten years, you're learning how your business operates and you're getting to a place where you can then pour some gasoline on the fire yeah. and scale and grow at a reasonable rate that doesn't break you. Why do we do it this way? Why have we accepted this and like what is the catalyst for that? I mean, I don't even know if we can answer that, but like what yeah. the heck? I know. It's it's dumb, right? It's dumb. Um, I mean, is it because yes. we're in this age of technology where technology moves so fast that people are like, oh, this must be how business is supposed to work now? I mean, yeah. And we're in America, right? So right. more is better and right. faster is better and, and bigger is better. Instant gratification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of these things. And I mean, I think we did see kind of that technology boom. And so there were a few amazing companies who did astronomical growth the right way. Yeah. And now that's kind of the the bar that's been set, which mm. I, I think you're right, it's not realistic at all. But it, it's forcing everyone into that mold has just resulted in companies who burn out and leaders who burn out and investors who are disappointed, which then forces them to get a bigger return from everything else. And right, it's, so it's so almost like the cycle. problem like grows itself yeah. because they're like, okay, if we know we're going to lose on, I, I think. One of the investment companies and uh, one of the investment clubs in town told me that they plan to to miss on seven out of ten. Like they plan that they're going to go badly, which means the other three have to make up for all of that. 
which is just blows my mind. Like, I know. I'm it's like choose better. Like, yes, <laughs> totally. If I'm going to give someone my money to invest in stuff, I don't want to hear them say, well, I'm just going to plan. Yeah. That I'm going to get 70%. You're not going to get any of your money back. Yeah, yeah. I'm not great with those odds. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I don't understand how that's become the acceptable norm. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, even if they're having those 30% win, right? Yeah. And the investors get their money and the PE company gets their money. Fine. What happens to all the people, all the employees and lives in those other 70%? Yeah. Like, not to mention they, the founder who was like, yeah, steering the ship that ended up hitting yeah. the iceberg and going down and in, in flames. What yeah. were they supposed to create? What do they have inside totally. of them? And a lot of failed entrepreneurs, first-time failures, they don't go on to do other things. No, it's too they scary. Don't get a second shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in, in even the companies that are quote unquote successful, right? Yeah. The thirty percent. Did the employees in those companies benefit truly? Right. I mean, or do they, they just have a fun ride? Have a decent job and then they go get mm -hmm. a different decent job. Now they got to go get over. another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, I think there has to be a different way to do it where we grow the pie. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't automatically flip that stat on its head overnight, yeah. but maybe we take care of people a little better along mm -hmm. the way and spread the wealth out and lower the demand on founders. Yeah. Um, just well, and, and yeah. it's interesting because we're always telling entrepreneurs, like, it's not all on you and you need to learn how to delegate and you need mm -hmm. to learn how to find people who are great at things and hand those things off to people. I mean, mm -hmm. you and Paige are trying to teach me that right now, right? And it's mm -hmm. it's, a, it's very difficult. But part of creating a great culture and part of having other people win is putting the right people around you. So if you can't, yeah. if you can't do that, or if you're not good at that piece, then you're automatically not going to be good at building a good culture because mm -hmm. you're not looking for the right things. Like all these pieces kind of come into play. And again, I, you know, I think the sort of theme of what we've been talking about is go slow, like go slow is smooth, go intentionally. smooth is fast, right? So yeah, yes. intentional is smooth, smooth is mm -hmm. fast. I, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think it's like the, all of these steps I'm taking have a purpose behind them. And sometimes that will feel faster than others for sure. Mm. But I, I think it's that intention and purpose and kind of long view of where you're going. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I, to your point about kind of expansion and scale, and it is a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs to delegate, especially when you start out scrappy, right? Yeah. And you're trying to do yeah. everything yourself and just make it work. <laughs> you're like Bugs but, Bunny. He's on first base. He's on third base. Catching the ball. Totally. He's pitching. He's batting. He's doing like, <laughs> you're, you're like, like this is how it's supposed to be. It's like, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, not only are you like driving yourself toward certain burnout, but you're kind of denying everyone around you the chance to evolve and grow into those roles. Mm. And, you know, like the, the chance I was given to be the CFO and kind of see behind the curtain of running a business. Yeah. If, if I hadn't had that chance, I never would have known. Like, I'd probably still be doing accounting somewhere and thinking, like, this is kind of boring, but yeah. this is the path I chose, you yeah. know? And so, I, I mean, how cool to get to share that experience with multiple people and kind of light the entrepreneurial fire in them as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so what's one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it? Well, Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I wish you had asked me what my favorite part of the 
precursor journey has been so far. Ooh, yeah. What's your answer? Okay. I love that question. And I would have said, I love watching you evolve. Mm. I think, you know, we're, we're three pretty strong women all coming in. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But even in this time frame, seeing you, you know, and kind of holding true to that vision, mm. it's all the stuff we talked about, right? The grit, the kind of going through the peaks and valleys of like, are we doing the right thing? Everybody's <laughs> arguing with us and, you know, they're questioning us. But then coming back to like, no, I know this is right. I know this is true. Yeah. I know this is what I'm doing and what I, I'm meant to be doing. And now, you know, starting to have some kind of momentum on the investor side and yeah. what that's done. I, I just, I've loved being beside you kind of watching that happen. I appreciate that. It, I mean, I'm like probably most humans, I have so much insecurity and part of me yeah. still questions am i am i in the right place am i capable am i is this possible for me not that this thing doesn't need to live and not that you right. know it's interesting because the kind of validation that we've gotten in the last 2 months having conversations with other people who are like trying to solve this problem in a different way having conversations now with a few people who are like well all like, yeah, incubators and accelerators need this, but investors mm -hmm. need this. Like, how do I get right. this in front of my investors? Like starting to see that sort of mm -hmm. momentum. It. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's very validating. But then the very first thing in the back of my mind is that insecurity of like, mm -hmm. oh, gosh, this is going to this is this is starting to get real now. Can I really handle this? <laughs> now I have I to run right a real person? company. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I just, you know, for me. Thank you for saying that. And and it really does make a difference having partners like you and Paige along for the ride because I look up to both of you, right? Like you're doing this amazing thing and you've Paige started this company five years ago and mm -hmm. where it is now. And you've been a huge part of that growth and her ability to, you know, to maintain that and keep it going. And so mm -hmm. for me to have people like you on board tells me there is something here. And it just gives me hope that if I don't have the skills or if I don't have something that I need, you will tell me and we will figure it out together. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think kind of why we work is that we all look up to each other, right? Mm. It's not just, yeah. you know, one or two of us on a pedestal here. Um, we all respect each other for different things. And, you know, I told you a while back, I have this super clear vision in my head of you just as mm -hmm. this really confident CEO running the show and doing the things and, and you're doing it. It's like, it's happening. But sometimes we need people in our corner to kind of hold that vision for us. Cause you're right. All of us have insecurities and yeah. every single human, if an entrepreneurial journey doesn't force you to face some of those demons inside <laughs> you, I don't know what will, right? Like it's just, it's going to come up for you. Um, it's so true. So you, yeah. Having people who can kind of say, well, I see you for this person who I yeah. know you are. Um, yeah. It's invaluable. Yeah, I love that. Okay, resources. Like, are there other podcasts or books or other types of resources that you would recommend for people who are in our audience who are running a company or mm -hmm. thinking about starting a company or maybe they're thinking about being an investor or maybe they're interested mm -hmm. in, the, in the equity and funding problem? Like, what resources would yep. you recommend for people? Yeah, um, Grow the Pie, which I mentioned earlier. Ooh, yeah. um, great book. I'm going to pick it out. that one up. <laughs> Definitely. One of my favorite just kind of leadership books is called Radical Candor, just about having honest conversations and like real time feedback, but in a, 
you know, going both ways <laughs> yeah. kind of fashion, right? <laughs> um, like it's as important for me to get that from my team as it is for them to hear it from me. Yeah. And, you know, as far as people interested in investing, that's another thing I might be working on. So stay tuned for more there, <laughs> but I will definitely keep all of you listeners posted. But, but I think, I think just kind of, there are lots of angel investing groups mm. out there, right? There are lots of ways to get involved, even on, you know, whatever scale you're comfortable with. And so I would just encourage people to start learning and start educating yourself, kind of dabble here and there and, you know, just take some of the mystique out of the process. Mm, yeah. 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 I love that. Miss Sarah Jolly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. This was so fun. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you for being someone who is so courageous. Like, you know, I sort of feel like sometimes you're either born with the entrepreneur bug or you're not. <laughs> and, and you are proof that you can do the corporate thing, do the stability thing, and then realize, hey, maybe there's a better way and, and mm -hmm. find a way to step out and, and do the entrepreneur thing. So thank you for being that sort of beacon of a path that's possible. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being my partner and for always supporting me thank and you. always being the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to be the mom of the group. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you just got two Cody's running around like, ah! <laughs> yeah, like, oh, geez. <laughs> no, it's been amazing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Awesome. So if people uh, have questions for you or they'd like to get in touch with you yeah. or follow you somehow, like what's the best okay. way for them to do that? Yeah, I would love that. I am not super active on social media, but I am on LinkedIn. So definitely check me out. Sarah with an H. Don't forget the H. <laughs> Jolly, just like it sounds. So Sarah Jolly on LinkedIn. Yeah, hit me up. I would cool. love to chat. Cool. All right, good. We'll include that for the show notes. And um, again, thank you for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe, follow wherever you listen to podcasts. The more you do that, the more we increase our rankings. If you love this show, we would love to have you post a review. Give us five stars. Uh, post a review. Tell other people why you like the show on Apple Podcasts. That can make a huge difference in how we get ranked. Um, and that would be amazing. And if you want to argue with me, if you have questions, if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot me an email, startup at precursor.com, and I will make all of your dreams come true. So <laughs> as always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day -day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.